Welcome to the Living In Podcast, a show that helps successful real estate teams accelerate their growth and impact. Livian, love how you live in all aspects of life. So this week I'm with Ryan Young, and Ryan, uh, you've got multiple titles, right? Um, work as both real estate agent, dad, husband, uh, founder, co-founder of Startup. Yep. And the one that I'm most interested in talking about first is your culinary background. Uh, I, I yeah. think this makes you the first chef we've had on the show. Everyone always goes straight to lead generation. Nope, not today. We're going straight to food. What's like the uh, what's the what's the best dish that you make? I I'm a big pasta guy. Okay. So like we're rolling out fresh pastas, you know, doing just you know ragus and all kinds of fun stuff that like you know, people when they when we have people over to our house and they eat it, they're like, I never realized like, this is the way pasta is supposed to be eaten. So we do a lot of uh, rolled out pastas. It's as I get to the, the ripe age of 40, unfortunately, like gotta start slowing that down a little bit. Yeah. But it, it's a good night for me if I've got a great bowl of pasta and a glass of red wine. So your wife, not uh, your wife married you not only for your good looks, but also for your like culinary acumen. The funny thing about it is she messes with me. I. I won her by cooking for her up front in the relationship. <laughs> okay. But now I rarely cook for her. And so, okay. and she's an amazing chef. I actually think she's a better cook than I am. She's just really? not formally trained. Uh, but I kind of duped her a little bit. You know, I got yeah. her, I, I brought her in with the, uh, you know, with, with pulling out all the, yeah. all the stops. And then all of a sudden now it's like one of those things where it's like, she, she, she'll ask me like, are you ever going to cook for me again? Like, <laughs> you know, that's awesome. So. That's awesome. It's not like she's busy with little kids or anything. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like one of those things that uh, she's an amazing mother, but she's even better cook. Actually, I mean, she's, a, she's an amazing mother. Yeah. But she's a really good cook, and I actually like eating her food. Okay. And so it's like selfishly, besides the fact that I just don't have the time. Yeah. Uh, she also throws down some really good stuff. Yeah, dude, that's awesome, man. So then how does someone who has a uh, training in culinary then... Uh, run the number one real estate team in Ohio and a, a real estate uh, technology company. Yeah, so I I was in the culinary restaurant industry for a decade, right? When I was 16, I got into it. McDonald's? Definitely a little bit of an upgrade from McDonald's. <laughs> okay, okay. Just barely. I went to a, a culinary school in New York called the Culinary Institute of America. Cool. I then from there, I got my associate's degree. Then from there, I moved to UNL uh, Vegas to get my bachelor's degree from UNLV. And I was living in Vegas. All of a sudden, I was 26 years old, and I'd been in the industry for 10 years. And I'm like, I'm just totally burnt out, right? Like, and to have like, to be burnt out at 26, like, and I was working 80 hours a week, like, you know, I was grinding, um, and I was making no money. And so I reached out to my parents and who were realtors and yeah. even Ohio, and I'm like, I don't really have like a college education to do anything besides culinary. What better job to get into? Yeah. What do you think about me joining real estate? You know, getting into real estate. So yeah. I did the 120-hour crammer course in two weeks. And okay. Before you know it, failed my test the first time, passed it the second, and then I was selling people's most valuable assets. So from from cooking to selling the most valuable asset, uh, were you actually working underneath your parents, or were you independent of them? No, I was working underneath them. So when I first what, joined this, what was that like? Nine, um, it was tough. Market was really tough, and my parents were just. They were all there. This was not a team thing. They were just, yeah. and they were two people working together. They sold 40 homes a year, had a very respectable, course, nice yeah. business, right? Yeah. Um, but it was challenging because when I joined them, the market was in a really tough place and I wanted to build something big. 
Okay. Because you're 26. Because I'm 26. Yep. And it's like, you know, I'm going to these conferences and I'm seeing what some of these people are building. And so it took a couple years of us like really trusting each other. I was also working at a restaurant full time when I first got my license for the first couple years. Um, and then finally, once we had like 2012, I finally said like, guys, if we're going to do this, we need to lean into this 50-50, created a 50-50 partnership in the okay. business. And then from there it took off, you know? Okay. And then I bought them out two years later because then we had a difference in vision for the future. Gotcha. They're in their late sixties, early seventies. I wanted to start making investments into growth. They were looking at it like, why are we making these investments when we could be essentially pocketing? Yeah. You know, so yeah. then we finally said it, it only makes sense for me to buy you guys out. Yeah. So I can continue to build this. So they have no interest in taking risk at that stage or that age of their life, but it's still a family business, right? Still a family business. It's actually really cool. Um, my mom, she, I, she's probably never going to see this, but she's in her mid seventies. Yeah. My dad's 77. They will sell this year 50 homes. Oh, wow. They'll sell 20 plus million. They are absolutely obsessed with real estate. That's awesome. They're having more fun than they've ever had. They're, I remember when uh, COVID first started, my mom was like trying to do, this was like when COVID was like April, May of 2020. Yeah. And my mom was like trying to do open houses when like, I don't even think open houses were allowed. <laughs> and she's like, I'm not going to hit my numbers. <laughs> You're in Ohio. They yeah, were totally. Yeah, totally they were totally bad. <laughs> it wasn't, it didn't exist. <laughs> in that area. West. That's right. uh, but it was like funny because she was like, I'm not going to hit my numbers. Like yeah. open house is like a great lead source for me. And I'm like, mom, you're in your mid seventies. Like, yeah. you don't do, who cares about open houses and like whatever, <laughs> hitting your numbers. So it was just kind of funny that like, you know, we have a great relationship. They're, uh, they're really influential in the younger team members of just, okay. Because of how passionate they are about it. And it's really cool for my team to just see someone that's super yeah. passionate and loves what they do. And then my brother joined us about seven years ago. So they're actually selling with the team. They're selling oh. with the, their agents on our team. That's all. And they have no, the one rule when we, when I bought them out was, um, they have like no rules. Okay. So it's like, they don't have to come to team meetings, okay. sales huddles or turn yeah. daily activity records. But do they, they do, they do because great players like great accountability, you know? Yeah. Like, so it's funny how they kind of show the team, like. This is, if you want to succeed in this industry, you have to love it, Yeah. but you also have to be consistent. And so it's been beneficial. Dude, that's pretty cool, man. What do they love about it, you think? They that love age? helping people. Okay. They love helping people and they love, they, they like the architecture and design the, okay. you know, they, they're, they're, they just love real estate. Yeah. And it's funny cause I never loved real estate. To me, real estate was a vehicle to build a business. Okay. Um, I wasn't as passionate, like. We go out to dinner with them and they're like, did you see that new listing that just came on? I can't believe they listed for this price. <laughs> yeah. Who cares? Can we sell it or not? You know, like, you know. Has that changed? For me or for Yeah, me? for you. Uh, I care less about real estate now than I ever have. Oh, really? Like, in it, not in a... No, no, no. Not in like a... Uh, in the, the industry actual, you like. I love the industry. Yeah. I love the, how the, the actual, like, helping people buy and sell real estate. Yeah. To me, I'm more in the now developing people industry okay. i'm in the high growth space like I, it, to me selling houses the real estate side of the business is like it's just an it's just a line item on a spreadsheet that has effects and impacts of pnl right yeah. so that's the product that that's your product. people sell yeah you're interested in developing the people that sell the product yeah and them in, in helping them change their lives and build big businesses and stuff like that what was the turning point for that I brought a guy on my team, uh, a couple turning points. Uh, first, my brother joined, who was in a totally different industry. He's a professional horseback rider. He was 
living in my, I know we come from interesting backgrounds. <laughs> in Ohio. No in Ohio. Yeah. Okay. Um, but he basically was like in his early thirties and he hurt his back and he was living in my parents' house and he had like nothing. He was just like, I, I, I didn't really see like a future for him. Right. Like he was a horseback. He's rider. a horseback rider. Yeah. And he was injured. And so it's like, would you ever be able to ride again? What do you do? Yeah. If you have to completely shift, he joined and started having a lot of success, which was seeing him do that was really special. Then we had another agent that we were at a planning advance in his first year. I remember he was, he earned $70,000 on our team. Okay. He came from Nordstrom and he'd been in Nordstrom for probably 10 years as a manager and he was making like 45. Wow. And we we're outside and we we're hanging out at our planning advance. And he was like, dude, I'm so grateful for everything. Yeah. You've done it. Changed his life. And I'm like, and I'm, this is when I was starting to make like, you know, healthy six figure income. Yeah. I'm like, oh, we can get so much more. Like we're, we're. And he's like, dude, I've never made this much money in my life ever yeah. anywhere close to this. This like literally changes my life. Yeah. And from there, the cool thing was he grew from 70 to 150 to two, you know, and it's like mm -hmm. to see that we take it for granted, but it's like you have someone that's working really hard in an industry. They're a great person, but they were just potentially in the wrong field, whatever it was. And then all of a sudden they come in and it clicks and they start to see the unlimited uh, earnings potential with this industry. I think that's really cool. Do you ever think about that for yourself? I mean, you just said that for 10 years, you're, you're working in the restaurant business and your life yeah, has alterly yeah. been changed. I don't, um, I don't because when I was in the restaurant industry, I loved what I did. Okay. And what I'm doing now, I love what I do. Yeah. And the money's just a byproduct of that, you know? So it's like, as long as you feel fulfilled in whatever yeah. you're doing professionally, I think the money is just a byproduct. And I've, I'm fortunate enough that I found an industry that just has huge upside. Yeah, but it is easier to have money than to not have money. A hundred percent. The 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 whole mo money mo problems <laughs> kind of theory is like it's easier to have money than to not have money. But it's also uh, sometimes I find myself focusing too much on the money because okay. of getting a taste of what the money is. Yeah. What's the best thing you've ever spent money on? Travel. What kind? Um, all around the world. You know, because, right. like, love, you know, I'm a food guy, I'm a wine guy. Yeah. Uh, me and my wife spent, been all over Italy and all over France and Spain and Portugal and, you know, love Western Europe. But we also love just going to Napa Valley, hanging out up there. That's kind of like our home away from home, which you would not be able to do if you didn't have money. Yeah. Uh, you would not be able to great, drink great wine. Um <laughs> But I, it's like one of those things that it's like, and now I guess, see, this is a selfish answer of me saying family. Now with two kids, I should be saying something like to afford opportunity for my children. No, I, 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 I mean, here's the thing though. It doesn't, does it matter? And, you know, I mean, I, it wasn't long ago I heard Gary talking about at, at Mastermind, right? There was like, John wasn't even in the, the will or the trust until almost 18 years old or, or even then after. Oh, I remember that. You know, he's like, He's like, I'm going to make sure he wasn't a dick. Yeah. You have to prove that you yeah. actually are worth me giving the money to you. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. I kind of reshaped how I thought about what we, what we do with money or how we think about it. Um, so, so you've got a number one team, your, your brother's working with you, your mom's working with you. Um, and then all of a sudden you get into this like software as a service business that you're in. Tell the listener about what you're doing and, yeah. and kind of that transition. Yeah. So I'll give the really quick high level story. Uh, when we started growing our real estate company, we moved into the whole guaranteed sale message. Yeah. 
the guaranteed sale was basically, if we can't sell your home, we'll buy it guaranteed, which led to me ending up starting to buy homes. Once I started buying homes, I realized that there was a, a value product uh, offering for that. People really didn't value it. Yeah, tell me about that. I know I'm, I'm pausing you before you get sure. all the way there, but like, I think that what's interesting is that you had to have a, mind, a mindset shift, right? Is that paying cash for someone's house is actually a value for some people, even if it's less than market value, correct? 100%. I think uh, the first house I ever sold, a guy named Dante called me up. We were on radio and he was like, Ryan, I, I live in Alaska, but I stream uh, Cleveland radio because I'm from Cleveland. <laughs> Okay. And he's like, I hear your radio ads streaming out here in Alaska. Yeah. He's like, my mother is now in assisted living and she needs to sell her house. Okay. And he's like, I don't want to fly back to Cleveland to get it ready, then to put it on the market. He's like, it's going to cost me a lot of money. Yeah. So I told him like, well, we can sell it for a lot more money on market if we do it. And so I ended up buying it. He kept pressuring me. He's just like, make me an offer. So I bought it. So here's what I found was interesting was after I bought it, I said, Dante, Look, I told you how much more we can net by going to market. Yeah. And why did you choose to sell it off market? And it was really interesting. His mom, who was in assisted living, was essentially moving over to Medicaid. Okay. And so all the uh, the equity in the property wasn't was going, going to go to it was going yeah, to it's going to the government. It's going yep. to the government, right? Yep. But we don't ever think like that. We just think our job is to net the most amount of money, yeah. and that's what the consumer wants, right? Yeah. So it would have actually, he would have lost money by spending his own money Correct. to actually fly here, get the house ready, put yeah. money into the house, just where the proceeds were going to so, someone else, right? right? Yeah. And so it started, that like really was like an eye opener to me of like, wow, not everyone has the same goals. Some right. people want to sell their home for the most amount of money. Some yeah. people want to just get rid of a headache, right? Yeah. And, and not so, give it to the government. And not give it to the government. Yeah. And so I ended up starting to buy houses at a pretty high level. We started to create this iBuyer, direct to consumer. And what I realized was the best part about all these messages, the iBuying is really the seller lead generation, right? right? The young team was the beneficiary of all of the people that didn't want to go through that program, but wanted to end up listing traditionally, the young team was the beneficiary of it. So we realized, wait a minute, what are we doing here? Let's create some software that actually helps agents generate seller leads by essentially reaching out to their database bringing them into a funnel with a very strong seller message, and then essentially starting to incubate them to create predictable seller lead generation. You and I are having a conversation on a Saturday, like, I don't know, a month ago, six weeks ago, whatever it is. And, um, and it was one incredibly insightful and valuable and, and probably way longer than you wanted to work on Saturday. But one of the things that really stood out to me was when you were talking about the, the dynamic of understanding how much more a listing was worth in your market yeah. than how much uh, a buyer was. Fantasy football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I don't know if our market's unique or if it's every market, but um, our average- You have to use the same analogy, fantasy yeah, so football. So fantasy football, for anyone that watches fantasy football, <laughs> uh, there's uh, point per reception leagues and there's yeah. not point per reception leagues. Different players have different values depending on what type of fantasy football you're playing. I have found that in our market, we are a very favorable compensation market to listings, right? Our average listing commission is about 3.35%. Our average buyer commission is about 2.15%, okay? On, on the young season. Big difference. Yeah, Big yeah. difference, right? So for me to go in, and on top of that, our listing agents on our team take a 30% referral 
okay. our 30% split. Yeah. Our buyer's agents take a 50% split. Yep. So now I'm seeing that our market, we have a significantly less, we retain less commission on a buy side and I give a larger split to a buyer agent. Yeah. So listings from a unit economic perspective are much more valuable. So how do I generate more listings, right? How do I create more, lean in more to where there's more financial opportunity? And so we've just always been a listing-based business. We're, we, we, we teeter around 60, 40 listings to buyers mm -hmm. because it completely changes the profitability of our, uh, of our company. Well, and it completely changes the profitability for your agents as well, given that they're getting, although it's a 20% difference in, in you know, top line revenue. Yeah. It's actually a 50% increase yeah. because they're getting, you know, 50% more commission given the, the, the differential between what you take a listing. And the added layer on top of that is when you look at the dollar per hour, oh, it's massive. It all yeah. of a sudden shrinks down yeah. because my listing agents go to a home once yep. they get paperwork signed up and then they don't do anything from there on yep. out. Right. So when you really break it down, you know, some people are like, well, you know, your listing agents are getting such a small split. It's like they're getting a small split of a healthy commission with doing very little. Yeah. Financially for our model, where we've seen the most amount of retention is on the listing side, people that have listing based businesses, because they see the way we've built the system that essentially all they have to do is turn in that paperwork. Yeah. And then they talk to the seller maybe a couple more times, negotiate a deal, negotiate an inspection, and then they don't go back. Well, then you've absorbed all the risk, right? Because yep. you've put all your all of your risk capital into advertising, you know, uh, marketing for sellers. Yep. And then you also risk your capital to service the contract as soon as they bring it in yep. signed after the appointment. And, and what we do, we have uh, one of the things, that, I don't know if it's unique or not, but we give our listing agents complete uh, autonomy on, you got like, I'm not micromanaging you on what your commission you take is. Yeah. I'm not micromanaging you on how you price the home. I trust you yeah. to get, retain as much commission as possible to price the home appropriately to sell as fast as possible to help your clients help. essentially yeah. make them happy and to refer us more business. Um, and I think because of that, I've earned, we've earned collectively the trust of saying like, I, I'm taking the risk. If you don't yeah. sell the property, I'm ultimately absorbing the expense. Yep. Right. But I'm also not micromanaging you and saying, why did you listen to that price? What if it doesn't sell? I'm spending yeah. the money. Yeah. So it's worked really well for our team. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things you talked about is that you are working seller leads through, through the company, through fellow, right? Through your, your prop tech company. Um, the, the interesting thing to me is that you're working those seller leads via email and via, via postcards. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and so I thought email was dead. Yep. Email has the highest return on investment because it doesn't cost anything. Okay. It costs very little. Yeah. Right. Um, where we've, what, what we've found is really special about what we do is we have found a way to actually reignite people's databases. And one of the things that I'm very, uh, I'm just, I'm very passionate about is, uh, two of the metrics that are really not looked at in the real estate industry are customer acquisition costs yeah. and lifetime value of a customer. Right. Yeah. And the reason why these are so important is. Because if I can spend less money to retain a, or to earn a customer, right, all of a sudden I can take that money and invest it into getting more customers, which creates more revenue. 
from a lifetime value standpoint, if I can get more money out of customers that I've already acquired or that I've already gotten. You know, paid for the acquisition cost. Yes. So it's like, we look at so much of what's my cost per lead, but we don't look at ultimately what we're doing to get more out of the leads we've already That's acquired. Right. Yeah. And so where we've really helped teams with Bellow is creating a significant amount of revenue out of leads they've already acquired, money they've already spent, mm -hmm. helping actually turn that into revenue when they gave up on it months or years ago. So that's step one, right? Is basically extract maximum lifetime value out of the 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 contacts you've acquired. Yep. And then phase two is add more contacts or acquire more contacts. Yeah. Right? Help 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 them drive. You know, one of the things that I always like to ask people is how big is your database? And yeah. everyone's really proud when they answer that. You know, like <laughs> okay. forty two thousand six hundred and thirty seven or whatever. Yeah. And then I'm like, cool. How many of those are local homeowners in your market? And they're like. How should I know that? Yeah. And it's like, well, what what does your approach look like to generating listings in your market? Well, you have a database of 42,637, yeah. but what are you doing to actually focus on where they live and how you can help them essentially accomplish a goal when they're ready to sell or show them the value of selling now or informing them, becoming that trusted resource? Yeah. So I think what we've seen is like, we want to help you ultimately with your existing database, but I also want to help you build a database of homeowners in your market. Yeah. So if I can provide you tools organically to do so, if I can take your database and help you provide that information, it's really powerful. And so one of the ways that you're adding the acquisition component is through postcards. Yeah. So now I'm really confused. You said emails and postcards. Yeah. I thought those were both dead. Postcards. So here's the key is how do you get the right message to the right person at the right time. Yeah. Right. That relevancy is crucial. So what we found is with postcards is if you're sending the postcard with the right message at the right time to the right person, yeah. all of a sudden the ROI is massive. Yeah. If you're sending a blanket message to a bunch of people and it costs a lot of money to do so, you're going to have a bunch of people that that message is not relevant to right now. And so what we found is you have to be very targeted and segmented in where you're making that investment in postcards, and that's where you get the biggest ROI. You know, part of our part of our lengthy conversation on sat on on this random Saturday was about these like legacy marketing and lead gen systems that are are really unsexy, right? And it really shifted the way I thought about about the exchange of trust. But what you're finding is that the old school marketing, traditional methods of advertising and lead gen transfer trust way very relevant digital, right? Yeah, they're very relevant. They're also uh, what you get with some of the more traditional measures are you get brand equity and brand awareness in the relationship of the consumer. Yeah, uh, you get. Well, you, right now, there's been such a, over the past five years or so there's been such a push into digital marketing, probably past 10 years. It's, it's, it's almost a little bit oversaturated. It's noisy. It's noisy. And so what's happening is it's more diluted now than ever. Yeah. You're essentially paying more because it's oversaturated, right? Because the more impressions, the more they can charge. And so I think what we found is like, wait, here's this little pocket or channel yeah. over here that like, when you look at the ROI, and what the conversion actually looks like versus through a digital channel. And I still love digital channels yeah. as long as there's a follow-up with some of the more traditional actions to support that effort. You know, once again, that's back to the customer acquisition cost. Yeah. If I just keep buying or acquiring new digital leads and burning them and converting yeah. at a half a percent, 1%, whatever it is, 
it's really hard to scale a great business on that, a great profitable business, yeah. you know? You know, one of the things since we had that conversation I've been asking people is like, hey, do you have an injury attorney? And, and everybody goes, no, right. right? Like, I have an injury attorney when I need an injury attorney. Right. And, I, and I started thinking about it the same way with real estate, which is if someone doesn't have a really close relationship with a real estate agent, they have a real estate agent when they need a real estate agent. 100%. And it's funny because I like the, uh, the, the question on, do you have an injury attorney? What injury attorneys' jobs are is to create brand awareness yep. on who's the best place when you get injured. That's right. Right? So they understand that their message is all about consistency yep. because no one plans on getting injured. Yeah. But when you do, it's all of a sudden the right place, the right yeah. time, the right message. And it resonates with you of like the consistency of their message. And it's like, yeah, all of a sudden I'm going there. So we need like agency to have like the hammer, or the anvil, or like the bulldozer, whatever those like injury attorney names are right. that are like professional wrestling names. Well, it's funny. There's a guy in Cleveland, my market where I'm at, yeah. um, and he's a injury attorney. And uh, he has billboards all over everywhere, talked everywhere. Yeah. And it's, I'll make them pay. My name's Tim Nisley and I'll make them pay. Yeah. And he's gotten so, his, his awareness of his brand is so good. He's, he's a bald guy and his eye in the picture, he's like, goes like this, like with like one eyebrow up. His, his message and awareness is so good that he now has billboards all over Northeast Ohio that are literally just his eyes with the lift up. No, no copy on it whatsoever. <laughs> and it's awesome. like super powerful when you think yeah. of like, this guy has created that much awareness on who he is and his slogan that, that like all he has, all he has is his eyes, you know? Wow. So it's wild. What, uh, as we wrap up, what has you most excited about the future of the industry? Um, a lot of disruption, a lot of disruption. And I think with disruption comes evolution, uh, becomes, uh, it forces people to change and adapt. Um, and I think that's good. I think we haven't seen that. And I think that's, uh, I think people are starting to get to the point where they're pointing fingers a lot and they're saying like, my business is suffering because dot, dot, dot. And I think this is really going to start forcing people to like evolve their business or join a business that is evolving. Yeah. Um, which I think there's a massive opportunity for.